Welcome back for the final time of the 2022-2023 season to Hoops HD, everybody. This is our Hoops HD report season wrap-up show. Uh, we have a national champion. And uh, Greg, you t- I got your note right here because I went to sleep early. The game was bad. It's the San Jose State Spartans. Am I correct? Yeah, yeah. San Jose State <laughs> winning. And again, I am on location here at the Final Four in Houston. I just got here today. I got to say the crowd's a little disappointing. There, there isn't really anybody here. I hate to misinform you, Puppet. The North Texas Mean Green are the national champions, but apparently meant so much to Grant McCaslin that he is now the head coach at Texas Tech. So congratulations. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. uh, well, he, he here's the score. Oh, wait, we got it wrong. Is that was UConn Huskies? There's there's our blow up of, of the bracket. Uh, yes. Uh, UConn last night became, I think, uh, Titel fifth team ever to go through the, the tournament with double-digit wins across the board every single game. Uh, just kind of rolled this whole thing didn't they they did winning by an average of 20 just unstoppable throughout i had the pleasure of seeing them live in vegas and they destroyed arkansas and then destroyed gonzaga which i did not think would happen so um kudos to coach hurley and the whole team um i knew they were good you don't start the season 14 and 0 and ranks one of the best teams in the nation for nothing but when they dropped six of eight in biggie's play i'll defer to stalika he probably watched them closer in conference play than i did um, I really thought they were not like a super team, but obviously I was dead wrong because they were a super team. They really were. And what's interesting about this, they're the fifth team to – did you say the fifth uh, to I, – I believe it's the fifth. Yeah, um, it, it, I believe you're correct. But if it's not the fifth, then it's the sixth. Not many teams have done it. I bet even fewer have lost that many games in January and won it all. Salika, you are the biggest guys. He was deferring to you, so uh, your thoughts. I will say physical teams like Xavier and Marquette were able to uh, match up a little better with UConn than teams that they had faced like Alabama and Gonzaga. Unlike teams in the Big Ten, though, they did not seem to be totally out of their comfort zone once they got out of the conference. In fact, as I'll probably allude to a little later, I think the Big East overall actually had the third most units behind the uh, SEC, and I think it was the ACC who I came Not in. The, no, I think it was the Big Ten who came in second. Oh. Yeah. Um, uh, nobody uh, passed besides Or no, Big 12. Yeah, the Big 12. Uh, yeah, the Big 12. Joby, let, let, let me bring in here as, as well this, this UConn team. Uh, I mean, uh, well, you know what? They didn't have to face any any Big Ten teams. They didn't have to face any Big Twelve teams. That's why they won it all. They they yeah, they got exactly. to play two West Coast Conference teams, a Metro Atlantic, an ACC, and a, a mediocre SEC team, team. And yeah, a Mountain it, West team. Right? Well, well, they showed in that championship game. They definitely showed they could handle physical play because if anyone can bring physical play, it is San Diego State. That is for sure. Um, and I, what I really liked about uh, UConn throughout this, they just yeah, I, I always felt, especially in the final two games that we saw this weekend, the ball, they were so consistent at a high level. You knew that you were going to get their A game. It was 100% dependent on San Diego State replicating what they did against Alabama or Miami replicating you know one of their 100-point games and then to outscore them. Those were the only two pathways that you know San Diego State and Miami had in the final four against them. And that's a compliment to Connecticut. This the consistency inside, outside. I mean, the story Sonogo it definitely deserves all of it, but it was also the guard play from Newton, et cetera, that 
you know, the balance, not many teams show the absolute balance. And the last thing I'll say is perfect example is that Miami team uh, where it was so guard laden, whether it was Pack and Wong, you know, yeah, you know, Amir on the inside and San Diego State, which had people like pop up like Bradley in the semifinals, et cetera. But let's face it, it was the balance uh, that UConn gave. No one in the tournament, no one in the tournament, not Houston, not Kansas, none of the other big teams seem to have that balance. And UConn perfected it. Yeah. And, and Titel, when you look at it, they gave up exactly 59 points at both the semifinal and the championship game, pretty much right around that same number through every single game game here. Because that, I, I was just, you know, I just felt watching that game last night that San Diego State had no shot to score, especially, you know, other than a little run where they kind of felt where you kind of seemed to half fall asleep and then they woke up again and, and, and that was it though. But, you know, you go inside, they can't, all they could have maybe is a, a contested three and, you know, sure you make a couple of those, you make a run, but that was it. Yeah. I believe if my stat memory is right, that uh, San Diego state did not have a single layup in the first half. And it's not because Donovan Kling and the seven, two giant was blocking like seven shots. It's not because Sonogo was, like, knocking people into the stands. It's just, like, the whole team was focused. And they rotate and they shift and they cut off angles. And Andre Jackson runs around and does everything. Like, as much as their offense deserves credit for, like, scoring 80 against some great teams earlier in the tournament, um, the defense, I think, really won it for them. The Aztecs are a great team. But if you hold anybody to 59, you deserve to be a champ, right? Absolutely. I uh, hold back to back it. You have two two final four teams to exactly fifty nine points. Uh, uh, and, and Griggs, I only got to give a little shout out here to that San, that the other semifinal of that San Diego State Florida Atlantic game, which was the game of the weekend. Yeah, and one of the better games of the tournament. Um, San Diego, the, the only buzzer beater we saw yeah. this year or last year combined. The only yeah, true buzzer was, beater. It was played at a high level. I love the storyline coming into the game. You had a San Diego State team who had been successful and been good and been in the top 25, but had never been past the Sweet 16, I don't think, in their history. And you had a Florida Atlantic team that had never been good, period. Had never um, won an NCAA tournament yeah. game. We've been yeah. in it once. It was 0-1, yeah. Yeah, I tournament. didn't even realize. You had to correct me. They had been the one tournament before, so maybe they were good one year, but no, like uh, they, they, not they, even they, like yeah, they, they they won. They were in the A Sun back then, and it was then known as the Trans America. They won the conference tournament one year and came in as you know a very low seed and got yeah. But even by CUSA standards, this had not been a successful program, and it, it, it was just incredible. I I thought I, I loved the intensity of the game. I thought it was played at a very high level. It was really exciting. Uh, and and uh, Florida Atlantic, I think, had a lead for what felt like 30 minutes, but the entire game felt like it was played within a very tight window. Um, it was big plays. It was good defense. It, it was just an entertaining game. And y yeah, for it to come down to the buzzer, I, I think that is going to sting for a little bit. One of the things about the tournament and really about college basketball in general, that is that unless you win the last one, you're always going to think about what it would have been like to win one more. Uh, but Florida Atlantic, had, I, I hope that once the sting wears off, they feel really, really good about this. Uh, K-State is probably feeling the same way. Oh, damn, we, we almost made the final four. Uh, I don't think they've been in a long time. 
and Florida Atlantic's probably thinking, God, we almost made the championship game. But the Final Four, and in addition to UConn winning it all, had three incredible storylines with San Diego State, Florida Atlantic, and I would say Miami, too, and Jim Laranega, who in his second Final Four, I know that I'm on to another topic now, uh, has won at a level at two schools that those schools had never, ever experienced in their history. And I don't know what you got to do to get in the Hall of Fame, but I kind of think he belongs there, not just because of where what he's done, but where he's done it compared to what those programs were like when he wasn't there. Well, uh, Titel, is he a Hall of Famer now? He's getting darn close. The resume is amazing. Uh, as the puppet said, Final Fours with separate schools in general is amazing. But to do it at GMU, which I assure you, like, Miami's got NIL money. Like, they can go out and get the best players that money can buy, literally. But there's no way that GMU, ironically, against UConn back in 06 or 07, I forget, did it. 06. 06. It was amazing. Um, if he's not there yet, he's really, really close. And uh, and Stalika, uh, how about this this Florida Atlantic program getting back to them? Uh, I think as a result of what they did, we should promote them out of under the radar for next season. <laughs> It would seem that way, plus a few of their peer schools in uh, UAB, Charlotte, North Texas. The list could go on. We'll also be looking ahead to 2024, where assuming that roster is going to be almost entirely intact, the Owls could be looking at a top five, and it's going to be virtually impossible for them to go under the radar and actually be a bit of a disappointment if they don't come close to running the table in the American next year. Yeah, they are moving into the American. That that was uh, so, which which is not for now is not considered by us to be under the radar conference. But but Joby, I've actually already seen some preseason top ten, top twenty five lists, which I think are meaningless before we get through the transfer portal stuff. I want to start saying FAU ranked number five in the nation. I, I assume all these guys come back. Uh, you know, is it, is that how good this team might be next year? Yeah. Why, why wouldn't they come back? A because they've already proven that they can do elements. They're in a great location. I think NIL money will actually come to them being in Boca. I, I just can't the, 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 just, just, just that extra Miami money. Just, just, just funnel up north yeah. a little funnel bit. Up, yeah. People <laughs> go up the coast, you know. Um, so uh, if they are all there, this is certainly a, you know, I hate to say, oh, you know, Final Four team and so premature, but at least say top 10 and what team to watch. And I will be surprised if, uh, well, they could fall out of the top 25 with a weird run or something here or there, but this is not an under the radar. And, and the American, remember the American does lose Houston and a, a bunch of folks, but with Florida Atlantic coming in with all of the, with the schools that Stalika mentioned, basketball will still be strong in the American, even after the losses, which uh, actually take away Cincinnati, et cetera, uh, that will occur in the uh, American to the big 12. Yeah. Um, and, uh, Griggs, yeah, he mentioned the other schools there. I'll give a quick shout out here. North Texas, another one of those schools that's going from Conference USA to the American, was our NIT champion, beating a, yet another one of those CUSA to American schools, UAB in the finals. Charlotte, another one of those same schools, won the CBI this year. So, uh, right. you know, great, great postseason for these Conference USA transition to American schools. It really was. And it, it kind of makes you wonder, and you can talk about this all day long uh how, how good was CUSA and why didn't the metrics show it and why was Florida Atlantic getting a nine seed uh was their only team that was anywhere close to the bubble uh and 
you know, does something need to be done to get good teams that aren't in power leagues more opportunities, especially late in the year? Well, maybe well, being the same the conference. Metrics, Cody, if you don't mind me saying, because of the metrics mentioning, the metrics actually did show it. North Texas was a top 50 team. UAB was right on the edge of the top 50 in the net. These were good wins. Yeah. Um, Fort Atlantic was finished the year like 14th, 15th in the net. I mean, so you actually had legit, you know, um, but the problem was, and you hit on it, Griggs, is they didn't have many scalps out of conference. Florida Atlantic obviously had the win over Florida, but they, and Florida was disappointing. So that didn't yeah. turn into the great win like, you know, San Diego State St. Mary's did, you know, for instance. Yeah. Well, it d- 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 does, though, does it not? Is it not with next year with them? I know that Houston and Cincinnati and UCF are going to be gone from the American, but you're still going to have Memphis there. Temple is historically a very good program. They're, they're, they're the slightly the slight step up in competition over some of the bottom feeders that they've had in competition. Yeah. Say, Joby and Griggs, wouldn't that help a little next year, though, with the same group of teams? Yeah, you won't have the drop off. Like, for instance, North Texas lost to Rice. Okay. Well, Rice, Rice is moving with them, though. So. Rice is moving with them. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent point. But, they, but yeah, North Texas lost. Yeah, in that particular case. Yeah. Um, but that loss, the echo effect, even of Rice then losing, you know, going subpar in that conference. The the fact of the matter is, it doesn't kill you as much losing to East Carolina, even though East Carolina, I don't know, might wind up ten and twenty. Yeah, but East Carolina, it's a it's a it's a constant effect. We saw this in the Mountain West. You heard me complain about it all year. You know, if if all of a sudden you have better numbers within the conference, even the bad will not drag you down that much. I mean, Louisville, uh, as a perfect example, was what four and twenty-five at the end of the year, but they still their net wasn't three sixty. Their net like it would for Monmouth. They were like right around 300, 290. So, um, one of the things, uh, I, he's not here tonight, uh, unfortunately, but Rocco Miller was beating the Florida Atlantic drum as early as December. And, and I thought for a while, like when he said that he thought Florida Atlantic should be a protected seater, that they were that good, he was saying it in the same context that I was saying San Jose state belonged inside the bubble. He wasn't really serious. And then we were talking one time via tech. No, he was, he really did think they were that good. And in hindsight, he was right. And the net, they were ranked in the net. The metrics did like them, but everyone just dismissed them as like, oh, it's a glitch in the net. They've gamed the systems for some reason. It favors them. It's overvaluing them. I, I think that was what most people thought. I think that's what most of us thought. And I think that that's what most experts thought too. Well, it wasn't Florida Atlantic. I don't know about fifth overall, but how can you not say that they weren't one of the 10 best teams in the country? And they probably were all year long, right in plain sight. And all of us, except Rocco missed it. Uh, Well, you want to compare it to, let's say, let's compare it to the 2006 Missouri Valley. If you want to talk about, gaming the RPI and gaming the net. I don't think anyone got beyond the uh, Sweet 16, if I'm not mistaken, when you had teams like Southern. Yeah, Wichita and Bradley got to the Sweet 16 that year. But not beyond. 
Yeah. Um, Let's face it. The Mountain West did get in the net this year. San Diego State uh, got the final four, but Utah State and Boise. Okay. Joby, I want to give you a couple seconds here. Do you want to make any apologies to the Mountain West after the team of the championship game? I will make – be honest, I will make an apology to San Diego State. Mm -hmm. They earned it. The conference as a whole stinks. The uh, 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 I will say this. San Diego State – San Diego State did – there were two elements that showed San Diego State – in its glory and its downfall. And that is in the semifinals, the ridiculous number of offensive rebounds, eight at one in a, in a short stretch of offensive rebounds. That's what won them the game. That's what won them, won them the game. And that is credit to the hustle defense and, and just uh, absolute, you know, gotta want it, so to speak, the San Diego state has, and that is all to hats off. Then there was a play against Connecticut where San Diego State was trying to back down Sonogo. And Sonogo just said, no. And it just bounced backwards off. I don't know if you remember this. And it turned into a hook shot that went off the front of the rim. I can't remember uh, if it was uh, – I can't remember who it was. But the um, – it might have been Lede. But the uh, – and I'm just sitting there going, they met their match. <laughs> yeah, like they I will did give you, Alabama. They bullied Alabama for God's sake. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you give you credit, Joby. I, when we were talking about West Mountain the season and you were ripping on them, you normally said, with the exception of San Diego State, that what you did you did have that <laughs> yeah. qualifier in there most of the season. I'll give you credit for that at least. Uh, but uh, uh, you know, beyond the UConn Huskies and, and the other men's champions, uh, we we have had a few other champions. Crowd, I just want to give a, give them a shout out here. Titel, starting with uh, the women's champion LSU. Uh, with the win over Iowa in, in the women's championship game that, that did not come without a little bit of controversy uh, due to the officiating in that game. <laughs> Shattered ratings records, and you get Angel yeah. Reese against Caitlin Clark. You get Kim Mulkey winning titles at multiple schools, the first yeah. women's coach to ever do that. So plenty of good storylines. The controversy, as Chad mentioned, a little do you see me or not so much uh, by Angel towards Caitlin at the end of the game. Uh, put the ring on my finger, the whole thing. And then Jill Biden decides, why not? I'll wade into this controversy and say, let's invite both teams to the White House, even though I was a very important political state. And even though the <laughs> team that's uh, American won, the team yeah. did not. So it's, a, it's becoming a huge mess. I think it'll eventually die down. I don't think that Iowa should go to the White House because the whole point of the, is you should win a championship to go. Not that I'm the president. They can do whatever the heck they want. They should but... go to the vice president's house, right? And San Diego State also. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think uh, one of the other things we're also overlooking was Iowa actually getting to the title game to begin with and knocking out what was then an undefeated South Carolina team because we all thought it was probably going to be the Gamecocks and the Tigers facing off of the national championship game. So didn't quite come out that way. Yeah. Uh, but what a showcase. Uh, my Wahoo, Don Staley, yeah. had a very serious uh, press conference for those who did not see it um, because uh, there was a lot of, you know, South Carolina was a tough team. Uh, no two ways about it. But she, to her credit, and I, I'm biased, obviously, but I, I will defend Don here. She defended her players. And this is why people want to play for Don Staley. This is exactly why women want to play for Don Staley. She defended her players. She called out those that had uh, d- said derogatory things in the press, mainstream press. We're talking not like, you know, bloggers and message boards. And, you know, using 
words like thug and stuff like that. And I really appreciated her just setting the record straight uh, in that regard. Uh, you know, I'm like I said, I'm biased because I, I, I have a ridiculous amount of respect for Don. But uh, congrats, Coach Staley. That's why you will be a power. That is why you have built a powerhouse uh, in Columbia. Yeah, uh, the viewership for that game, and this was cable television, not a free-to-air channel, if those even exist anymore, 9.9 million, more than the average NBA finals game. Uh, A very big showcase for women's college basketball. That is awesome. Yeah, that was great for the women's game. Uh, Shout out to two other women's champions. Kansas wins the WNIT. California Baptist, the WBI. Did you even know there was a women's version of the CBI? Well, there is. Uh, California Baptist. Uh, D2 level, Nova Southeastern was your men's champion. And Ashland, I think it's out of your Ohio area, wins the women's championship there. Uh, Yeah, just a little bit north of Mansfield. Uh, at the D3 level, uh, we talked about a couple weeks ago, uh, Christopher Newport, uh, the Titel, you, uh, you went to college with their head coach, I believe. Uh, Corian, class of 96. Love it. They, go, they, they won the, the first ever D3 championship and the first ever national championship at the D3 women's level. First ever national championship in any sport, I believe, for the school. Uh, Transylvania. Uh, I, I didn't even know they let schools for, from Eastern Europe into, into the NCAA. <laughs> But Transylvania <laughs> wins the D3 Women's Championship. NEIA, College of Idaho, wins the Men's Championship. And Clark of Iowa uh, wins the Women's Championship. Uh, that's maybe the school that should go to the White House. Uh, that, from that Iowa, they an, did win a championship. Ironic. <laughs> Clark from Iowa. Hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, I guess on, on that note, uh, you know, those that's our champion. Those are all of our champions. And I want to kind of give you each year a chance to take as much time as you like to just give your thoughts on the Final Four, the, the entire NCAA tournament, the entire season as a whole year. Anything else we want to open up? I'll kind of go to each of you here. Um, and Sleeka, why don't I start with you? Well, a couple things for uh, San Diego State right here. We saw both the Dayton Flyers and the Aztecs actually make some pretty significant runs in 2020. Obviously, we never got to see how that tournament shaped out because I think the Aztecs were the last remaining undefeated team that year and went mm-hmm. probably on pace for a one seed or a two Very seed. Very close themselves. to it, yeah. I mean, it's I... a little bit three years later than what you would expect. So at least they, unlike the Flyers, at least got a little bit of chance for redemption at the short term. And then on the second... I guess on another final thought, I will look at the Big East one more time. We're talking about a conference that actually has a title for the first time post Villanova, who had ended up getting a pair of titles back in 2016, 2018. So clearly there was a sense of rejuvenation for uh, UConn here. It only took about three years since they actually rejoined the conference. But you look at next year, how that conference is going to be. I mean, you not just have Hurley and UConn, you're going to have Shaka and Marquette, you're going to have Sean Miller and Xavier, and now you get more fuel to the fire with uh, Rick Pitino going to St. John's and Ed Cooley going down 95 to uh, D.C. It's going to be a whale of a conference to watch next season. Uh, I'm still, I still got to Paul winning it. I don't know about you. Uh, <laughs> I am more excited about Georgetown going to Providence than I was about the Final Four. <laughs> it's going to be a fun game next year. <laughs> yeah. it's gonna the be amp is going to be amped. <laughs> yeah. uh, Joby, how about you? Um, well, uh, you know, the one I, I really appreciate is mentioned, Rocco, you know, bringing us to Florida Atlantic. I agreed. And 
this entire group, by the way, uh, on our brackets, we were constantly saying on our own personal brackets, oh, Florida Atlantic, not a top four seed like we probably should have, but we were edging to like six, you know, sevens and that sort of thing. But man, they were, yeah, I mentioned the offensive rebounding. What Coach May is probably going to run drills on is blocking out on free throws. <laughs> My gosh, four, four in the second half. I mean, I, I don't know if I saw four watching college basketball all year. <laughs> you know, I mean, after the first one, after the second one, call your timeout and just get your guys to put a body on someone. That is what, uh, because Florida Atlantic was playing outstanding defense to get to that point. You know, San Diego State seemed like they couldn't score unless they had like five shots at it, and Florida Atlantic allowed them that. Um, so it's the moments that we kind of remember like that. Uh, I hope that Florida Atlantic will get another shot at, at a run, and it's great to see Coach May stay. And uh, next year, um, yeah, will the American uh, will the American once again as the Conference USA did this year? If Florida Atlantic wins that game and then upsets UConn, man, you only send four teams to the postseason and you're undefeated in them. That's that's pretty good work. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, I wanted to thank you guys for giving me uh, the forum to do this, which gives me the access to get a press pass for the tournament. Um, it's one thing to like get to sit – near not that i sat near i was way up high in uh, the t-mobile arena but to get to like walk up to a guy like drew timmy and like stand a few feet away from him and ask him questions about his life and his career and to get to ask coach few a question at the press conference and to meet tiger campbell's dad and andre jackson's mom like the access is just amazing and i couldn't get it without you guys so i'd really really appreciate it because it was fantastic um, as far as a final thought on the season, um, as a historian of the game, one thing that caught my eye, I don't know if you guys talked about it last month while I was busy doing 10,000 other things, but um, Darius McGee at Liberty, uh, the three-point specialist, actually tied Steph Curry's all-time record of 162 threes in a single season, and it was uh, quite eventful. Um, so he lost by one to Kennesaw State in the conference tourney by going 0 for 11 from behind the arc, so I thought he was done. But they got an NIT bid. He scored five more against Villanova from three-point land and then four more at Wisconsin to tie Steph Curry's record. Do I think he's going to be the next Steph Curry? No freaking way. <laughs> Am I glad that he tied a record that might stand for a long time in college as one of the best three-point shooters ever? You better believe it. Uh, Greg, before I go to you, I, I, you yeah. always go through all the tournaments, and, and, and I forgot to mention one of them. Um, okay. Uh, so I want, just want to bring it up here. So unfortunately, we had a little bit of breaking news about the one other tournament for this oh, year, the ACA. Yes, yes. Uh, yes. Unfortunately, it was canceled. You see there, as all the funds that we're going to use to pay for the event were spent uh, cleaning up a Vegas hotel that you were seen that apparently you were seen partying, and right before UConn's men's basketball team showed up for the West Regional. You want to explain that a little? Well, <laughs> well. I, well, earlier, Chad, uh, I, well, you had you were originally going to represent me, and you had said not to talk about it. Today, you said you are no longer representing me, and now you're asking me to discuss it. I, I just want to be sure I understand this. But we were in the Vegas at the hotel for an AC8 meeting, 
and it got pretty fun. And that's all I remember. <laughs> I haven't any final thoughts on the season. Then. Yeah, quite a few. I, I've been kind of stepping out of puppet character, but still doing it as the puppet. I've been concerned the last couple of years about the direction of college basketball, the health of the game and the, whether or not it would continue to be appealing at the level that it has been. Um, I, I didn't know, I, I didn't know one way or another. I just didn't know with the NIL, with the transfer portal and with it becoming so transfer heavy, would it, I mean, I mean, would people, relate to it the way that they had in the past when it might be harder to get to know the players with the gap between the haves and the have nots widen. And then all of a sudden this year, while the regular season may have lagged at points, the NCAA tournament had great ratings and of the final four, three of the teams were there for what I think was the first time. So, and, and one of them was an under the radar school. So in that regard, uh, at least in the, at least right now, uh, not only has it not have had an effect, it seems like the under the radar schools are as competitive as they've ever been. Um, I would uh, like. I, I, I'll, I'll throw it out there. Yeah, go Mount out there. West, Mountain West just a couple of years ago was relegated to under the radar as well. So we got two schools that were right, under yeah. the radar just a few years ago. <laughs> yeah, and um, I, I will say that while I am for uh, the rights of student athletes and the welfare of student mm -hmm. athletes. One of the things that is troubling to me, and this is more so in men's basketball and maybe football too than other sports, is the number of athletes or players that enter the portal at that are coming from a Division One school and do not receive any D1 or D2 offers. It, it sort of breaks your heart a little bit to see the numbers being what they are, like in the hundreds of kids that had a scholarship, had a school, and had a place to play that ended up with nothing uh, prior to the one and done rule. It, it used to be upsetting to see the 30 or 40 players declare for the NBA draft that could have been high caliber college players that went undrafted and ended up with nothing. This is two and three times that uh, kids that are going into the portal that, it, that have nowhere to go. That would be one thing that I would, I, I don't know what to do about it, but I wish the NCAA would examine it. I, I think they will. And the other thing, and there isn't really anything you can do about this, is think of all of the compelling games that we would love to see played that aren't played, like Houston and Texas. I guess we're going to get to see that one for at least one year. But, I mean, we could list a hundred of them. Um Wichita State in Kansas and Maryland in Georgetown. And, uh, you know, the list goes on and on. Xavier Dayton, if you want to go down the list a little bit. Uh, even some of the old Ohio Valley rivalries, Murray and Moorhead don't play anymore. It, there seems to be this tendency to where if you don't want to play a team, you don't have to, you can simply avoid them. That only exists in college basketball, whereas in Nowhere else in the world are you able to do that. And I don't think it's good for the game. While buy games are necessary, and while I don't think, even I think that you need them to an extent, I just think that it took too long for the pace of the season to pick up. And it's not good for the fans, but it's not good for the teams either that play in under-the-radar conferences that are really good that might not get those chances because teams simply choose to avoid them. And those are kind of my, it, it, those are kind of the two things that I want to see the NCAA maybe address if they can, that I think that would benefit both the players and the quality of the game. 
And lastly, it, it, you it, to echo what John said, I mean, th- this is great. We're all massive college basketball fans. I was such a college basketball fan that I couldn't just watch it and talk about it. I had to do something that submerged myself into it. This allows me to feel like I'm an active participant in college basketball, even though I'm really not. I'm an active participant with you guys. It's fun to wake up every morning and have the list of games every day and the podcasts every week. And I hope we keep doing this for another 40 years. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I, I've got to echo that as well. You know, I want to thank all of you and everyone who, who's else from Hoops HG that couldn't join us tonight, but has been with us throughout the season on just another great year here. Uh, we are going kind of into off-season mode right now. We're going to try at least once a month during the off-season to come yeah. back, go back with it with another podcast. Uh, maybe get some special guests and stuff during the off-season. Uh, come middle end of October, we're going to start with our preseason content for next year. If you look up there or over there or over there on the website, you'll see the countdown clock is running as we record. This is 215 days, 15 hours, 18 minutes, and seven seconds away from the start of our next season. Uh, so Zach can enjoy his UConn championship trophy until then. And then he, he's got to, he's got to give it back. Uh, but right, yeah. I'll be after tonight, at least from David Griggs and John Titel up here, John Sleeka and Joby Fortson down below. Uh, I do want to thank everyone for joining us for another great season. And, uh, we're all starting to get ready and looking forward now to the 2024 final four coming to Phoenix. There it is on the screen. 23 is over. Thanks for joining yeah. us for another season, everybody. And we'll talk to you again. About a month from now.